I would say to parents, you know what? You can't take shortcuts here. You got to do the hard work of living what you want them to learn. Live what you want your children to learn. You ain't been there, and then you ain't, and you ain't just this or did that. It don't matter. Just love on them. Or love yourself. So you have to go back and love on them. It's okay. Whatever love on them. When you look back on your life, what's one thing you needed to hear your father say? And, um, that's my experience. And I can only go off of whatever I, I've experienced for almost a decade. Persistence. Persistence don't get you where you gotta go. Reporting live, it's the final boss. No, it's not. This is your host with the most, Chalmer, and you're now listening to another episode of Fatherhood Friday, Season 5, Episode 3. So glad you could join us on this late night, even though if you're listening, it might be uh, Tuesday afternoon. Nevertheless, you've made it here. Um And so glad you're happy to be a part of the show um, as we are moving into 2021 and and resetting our clocks. And so today I'm going all the way back to my hometown, uh, Denver, Colorado, and specifically Montbello. And I'm going to be talking to one of Montbello's finest today uh, about gang culture. And some of you might be thinking to yourself, why gang culture? Um, Because it seems like it gets passed down from generation to generation, from grandfather to father to son to grandson, like it never ends. And so we're going to be talking to uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with by the name of Francois McDonald. And uh, we're going to be picking his brain and seeing, listening to his story of how he got caught up in the lifestyle, his road to redemption, and what this looks like for him in fatherhood, and and now in 2021 as he's come full circle. Allow me to introduce, like I said once again, one of Montbello's finest, as we always say, living decent, Francois McDonald. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, doing well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on the show, sir. No problem. Thank, thanks for making it. I know sometimes our schedules don't always mesh, but we are here. I'm here, and you're here by way of Atlanta, Georgia. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, tell tell the people about a little bit about Atlanta, man. 
Oh, well, uh, Atlanta's a beautiful place. Atlanta's been good to me. Uh, a lot of people know the Atlanta that they see on TV, Atlanta Housewives, the music scene, starting with, you know, So So Deaf. And, and that was my first impression as well. Uh, but there's a lot of, I would say, encouragement there's a lot of valid examples black african-american examples entrepreneurship and it's just highly encouraged across atlanta so when i say it's been good to me it's really uh moved me in a in another way uh as far as business wise and also with my family spiritually so uh atlanta's been really really good to me in 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 every sense of atlanta and i would highly recommend that everybody come visit at least once or twice don't don't do the the normal uh magic city and strokers but go <laughs> see uh some of the more historical sites um the martin luther king center of course is always a good place to see yeah uh, before covid they had the underground mall underground yeah that hasn't been i think it's been shut down for for a while okay. but you got the trap museum now okay um uh, the, do they still have lennox out there lennox mall lennox lennox mall is is still here okay yes sir okay yes sir yeah i used to be out there quite often you know when i was in college going to the college games at morehouse and clark atlanta uh when they used to play my school at tuskegee so i'm very familiar and i have uh-huh. an aunt that lives in cobb county uh, somewhere outside of Stone Mountain, so you okay, you know, um, and so uh, you know, speaking of Atlanta, you've been there now what 12, 13 years, uh, 14 years to be exact. Upon my release from prison, I came straight to Atlanta, okay. And so, before we kind of get into your interview and, and things of that nature, what is the misconception? Because you're not originally from Atlanta, you're from Denver, Colorado. What is the Denver, misconception Colorado. of people? Uh, of what people think about Colorado. I know people always oh, told man. me in college, like, man, you the first black person I knew oh, from man. Colorado. That's, that's the Is there any black that's, people that, in Colorado? Yeah, like, that's the absolutely. That's the first question I get. Is there black people in Colorado? Did they all leave when you came to Atlanta? Um, that's that's usually the first question. Uh, used to ask me about skiing and snowboarding in the mountains now that the the laws have changed the weed laws have changed and changed the culture of denver colorado that's now the first question i get um after are there black people there it is what's it like with all the dispensaries and in the weed uh that's the next one now yeah and i wouldn't know because i'm not part of that culture Uh, right and so you know um, but there's another hidden culture that is there um, that people yeah. always overlook that people even have a oh, yeah. hard time believing. And it's not the mountains, it's not snowboarding, it's not cows and horses. But believe it or not, most of the black yeah, people out there culture. gang culture. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you said it. You said it. Uh, it's something that you know back in the 90s back between the 80s and 90s a lot of gang members from california started to migrate to colorado and with that came a lot more of the gang culture and it came probably i would say the right time wrong time but right time uh for gang culture to spread because there was a lot of things happening during that time and let me know if you want to go into to that sort of the history of that, in my opinion. Well, I think you should go into the history of it because I think it, it leads segue into you growing up 
in Absolutely. in our community, Montbello. So talk talk a little yes, bit about uh, about the history yeah. of gang culture. In yeah, yeah. So life. so I got to I got to Montbello when I was five years old. I'm an '82 baby, so I'm an '80s baby. So it's about '87, right? So that's when you seen a lot of these movies coming out about gang culture. You hit uh, colors, and then you had some of the music changing as well where you started to shift into nwa Mm -hmm. and that was sort of gangster rap and then getting into the 90s you also had uh dr dre you had ete you had snoop you had uh ice cube so the music had a a huge part to play and in shifting culture around that time but also you think about the crack era Mm -hmm. 80s late 80s and when crack and and rock free bass started to hit the communities especially the urban communities you started to take of course mothers out of the home or fathers out of the home and then mothers having to work longer hours mothers having to work period and you're creating more single mothers right Mm -hmm. you have fathers that are going to jail you have fathers that were getting hooked on drugs you had mothers getting hooked on drugs which shifted uh into children raising children or raising themselves this is late 80s going into the 90s and raising yourself of course meaning you, you're going around the corner you go into the store if someone's picking on you it's only so many times in Montbello when we were growing up there was a, a every street had somewhat of a clique or every street had an identity right and we would play each street in, in football But after you got through elementary school, middle school, everybody started to have sort of cliques. And you would name your clique and you had to have an identity for your clique. A lot of these cliques were a lot of the kids that were growing up in those apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. talking about Montbello, we're talking about the Albrooks. But most neighborhoods, most urban neighborhoods had a project or an apartment community. And then you had some of the streets and in Montbello, and we love Montbello, mm-hmm. and not to talk bad about Montbello no. because it, there was a lot of pride. But most most streets, most uh, streets in Montbello had at least one uh, drug house, right? And at least one person or two that were were actually a part of a gang. Yeah, and, and it was more than likely your older cousin, your older brother, and from. Eastside Crips or Park Hill Bloods or Gear Gang Crips and that's really who I started to, to cling to. Started off with the click culture and my mother was working and a lot of the time so my older sisters would raise me. A lot of the time my older sisters well, while they were going to school they were influenced by my older cousins mm-hmm. and I was as well. I had one cousin that was a blood then we had a lot of people on the street that were, that were Crips. Uh, rest in peace to my one cousin, Ace, uh, Asian Fair. They call him Ace Capone. Mm-hmm. He, he's been gangbanging for, I would say, I mean, since he was 18, he passed away when he was about 40, 41, 42? Mm-hmm. Or 48, I'm sorry, 48. Um, so he had been gangbanging that long. He had an influence on my sisters. They started wearing red a lot. I took more to the Crips because that was Montbello. Right. Uh-huh. And, and I think the thing about it is you either you either going to pray or you're going to get prayed on. And it's it's <laughs> nothing worse than being on the devil's playground and, Man. And, and being with the wrong color on. Man. Well, 
and my wife my wife talks about this she grew up slightly in Montbello for you know until this one incident happened she was standing on a bus stop had just got a coat her mother just bought her a coat she lived on off of Maxwell and she's only literally she's only about 11 12 years old and she's standing at the bus stop waiting on the bus and she's on her way to school her mother was shipping her to another school because she didn't want her to go to Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. and she gets uh, someone pulls up on her in a car older people and starts questioning her about her red coat of course these were crips of the crip culture at that time scared the mess out of her told her mom and her mom uh, at that time ended up moving her to somewhere else but that was part of Montbello so even if you weren't a part of a gang and and to be honest with you I would say 70-75% of people that were cousins or blood and using the, the, the lingo were not had not get gotten put got put into on the game. right meaning yeah they, they they didn't get jumped in um they just were sort of engrafted in because their family was so heavily uh involved in gang culture or was a part of a gang yeah and, and and i would i would agree with that um because it's engrafted in your neighborhood you know growing up you know you find yourself saying what's up cuz and you're not really banging Real at all but but it's just the lingo of how yeah. of how you communicated back then so you know you kind of shared your experience of how you grew up as a teenager and 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 how it was clickish you told me you lived around you know behind crown market i actually mm-hmm. live right across the street from john amaz so mm-hmm. i was pretty much surrounded by crips the horny crips were in the back of the elementary school that was like a family gang and then there yeah, was the hordes yeah the, the hordes yeah they, that was like a yeah, family hordes, gang yeah and that, they, it, yeah they started off just a family and they were a large family yeah but then they became hbc yeah crips. they were right behind uh john and mess and i was yeah. in the front then we had yeah. the 55th street uh, with, with, yeah. with Khaki and all of them cats. Khaki and them, but they were East Side Crips. They started off LTD, I think it yeah. was LTG, Lifetime Gangsters. That was the click. Yes. And then you had Tramp Dogs. That was a West Side uh, click. Yep. And, yep. and you had so many clicks in Montbello, it, but all of them formed into gangs after a while. Yeah. And so talk about, you know, you growing up, you, 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 you're, you're, you're clicking, but then you elevate yeah. because now you're out of school. You finish. Yeah. You finish Montbello High School. What was the ending result of living the lifestyle as a crib? Well, yeah. So, so as a middle school and high school, we had a clique called LOCs. Mm-hmm. Now, our clique and a lot of people that were in our clique. One of them, Andre Lopez Baker, may he rest in peace. Um, he was from Gear Gang Crib. He got put on Gear Gang Crib at about in about. Sixth, seventh grade, mm-hmm. and again, that was a result of his parents getting divorced, him staying with his mother, father becoming more and more absent as him and his mother became had problems. Same, uh, very similar instance in a lot of households. But me and him really grew tight and grew close. So as he uh, shifted more into just hanging around Gear Gang Crips, so did I, and. Honestly, I never got put. I was one of the people that never got put on Gear Gang Crip, but we were so close and I developed enemies from hanging out with them. One of those enemies being the Horton boy Crips, Hortons. 
another enemy been the bloods it, it seemed like gear gang the gear gang crips had so many enemies east side crips the the almost everybody was enemies with with the gear gang crips so we had to fight a lot and we were getting you know a lot of people while we were walking up the street we ran into a lot of people so we we relieved received a lot of static mm-hmm. in turn uh, everyone that was in our clique locs actually be either became gear gang crips or we just claimed it because one it was part of protection at that time and if you were going to receive static you might as well have just went ahead and, and claimed it or got put on yeah so coming out of high school that was my identity that's who i hung out with those who were who my best friends were and that's how i accumulated a lot of the enemies so whether i was from there or not or whether i got put on the hood or not that became my identity so i had to sort of just stick with it and be ready to to represent no matter what yeah and and so do you think that was you know a, a lack of you know your father not being in your life or your mom having to work all the time well absolutely so my father lives in texas or he he lived in texas at the time i wouldn't say that he was a a bad father i would just say he was an absent father Mm -hmm. when i say that when i when i was with him we would go out there of course for the summertime and he would be the you would you honestly you would think he was the closest thing to the perfect father while i was with him didn't want me to cuss didn't cuss around us you know didn't really whoop you he was more of that that phil huxtable or cliff huxtable mm-hmm. uh the, the the you know the acting one not necessarily the no i the get it's ready <laughs> he's cliff we know what we was looking up to that was that was our greatest achievement or greatest example of a father but that was him but he was in texas again and my mother didn't know what to do with me she was at work most of the time when she was at home she was she was asleep but again that was also a drug air that was also the crack air um so a lot of her friends a lot of people that she hung out with were a, a lot of people in the montbello neighborhood and growing up on the other side of crowd market those were a lot of the crackheads those were a lot of the the alcoholics drug addicts should i say and the alcoholics a lot of my friends' parents, they were also on food stamps. They were also on low-income housing, Section 8. So, yeah, absolutely. And I started, again, hanging out more with uh, those who I felt more comfortable with and also where my protection was at. It was only so many times I kept walking around that corner and running into the Hortons or running into the AKs, running to the East Side Crips, that I stopped coming around the corners by myself or I stopped coming around the corner without a weapon, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's just, that's just where it took me. Yeah. And then I had to start, I had to take on, and I went from the uh, class clown and to more of the hard having to put on a certain face, also dress a certain way in order to survive in that culture. Right, because I mean, once you take on the identity once you embrace it, it's like it's no more going back. You can't. You, you can't, can't go back to They're class clown. You, you can't go back to oh, I'm an honor roll student it's or like, an athlete or an yeah, athlete. It's like no, nah, them days are over. They won't let you. And I've watched so many people shift as well. So either you ran with it and you 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 just got out of that that culture and you became an athlete. You did your school thing. By the time I got into high school, it was already too late. They had seen me in pictures. They knew who my friends were. 
And Montbello, coming from MLK to Montbello, was like gladiator school. It was initiation time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. And so talk about, you know, what what was, you know, the ending result of, of, of you living that lifestyle? Well, uh, of course, uh, coming out of high school, I tried to do college. That was my ultimate goal. I got my grades right towards the end of high school. But again, because my father was not able to pay for my last semester of or my first semester of college i had to drop out so i entered back into the workforce and then i also rejoined the same people i was with during high school and we started you know money was a little low i had to start taking care of my mother so then a lot of time gang culture also introduces you to hustling Uh and you start to accumulate more enemies as well one of my close friends who also was uh, on gear gang at the time started he accumulated some enemies and then there became more and more friction between us and then the east side crips mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there was altercation that that took place at a, a nightclub he and another guy from the east side crips had got into it i caught wind of it so him being one of my closest friends eugene myers we call him tight yeah i know eugene <laughs> yeah yeah so we we ended up um talking and he told me who it was and it wasn't that we were looking for him but we knew we were going to run into him again just so happened we ran into him again at the nightclub the next uh, couple weeks later now mind you i'm trying to get out of this culture and, and move on with my life but it just keeps calling me back mm-hmm. we end up seeing the guy again at the nightclub he approaches us him and his friends approach us his you know a lot of the east side crips that was with him and then we're getting in the car we even had some of the gear gang crips with us that night Mm -hmm. we ended up um getting into it with them and i ended up punching one of the guys the same guy that that eugene had gotten to it with we hop in a limousine we drive off the limo driver pulls over to drop one of our guys off and he sees bullet dents in the side of the limousine and he brings it to our attention. Now we know it's sort of on and cracking. So all the week, that same week, we start hearing, and this is just to make a long story short, we're okay. here, we're being looked looked for. And I go into the barber shop with my younger cousin a couple weeks later. And sure enough, some of the Eastside Crips or younger guys came in and they see me. They make a couple phone calls to the guys that were looking for us that wanted either vengeance or or wanted to, you know, basically retaliate. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted to finish what we started at the club week before. Um, So there's somewhat of an ambush being set up while I'm in the barbershop. The two guys, two gentlemen come through the door. I don't notice them. My head's down in the phone. I'm waiting for my younger cousin to get his hair cut. Little do I know that the barber that's cutting my cousin's hair is also a part of the plot. So he's stalling me. So every time I ask him how long on, on this haircut, because he's only getting a taper. And if you know a taper, it should only take about 10 to 15 minutes. Right. Seemed as if we were there for at least another 30, 45 minutes later. While my head is down, two guys come in, they rush me. And then there's two more guys, the same guys that were calling him on the phone, were behind me. So I'm surrounded and I fall out of the barber chair, gun drops, I pick the gun up. And as I stand up, I don't have my glasses on any longer. And it sort of scatters. 
witnesses tell me that one of the guys pick up a kid use the baby girl as a shield as i pick the gun up and the other guy uses the barber wow as a as i catch the the one guy out of the corner of my eye i chase him out of the barber shop with the gun i cock the gun un, just unconsciously and it's in all in one motion as i swing the door open he runs out the door as i swing the door open I shoot the gun at the same time. And at this point, everything's just silent. We run out of the barbershop. My younger cousin pushes me from the back. And now everything's coming back to life. It was almost like it happened so fast. And he takes the gun. Uh, I'm sorry, he takes my keys to the car. I still have the gun. Long story short, uh, we leave the barbershop. I go on the run for about a week. After, and then I turned myself in during that time they had shot at my house again this is gang culture so right. as news spread so fast they found out who I was they came from my house that exact same night for me I was I was walking the line between trying to be a, a Christian I had given my life to Christ a little bit before that and I was trying to walk that line while still selling weed and still got another foot in, in gang culture and mm-hmm. hanging out with the fellas and hustling. So uh, I still end up going to the church that night. A lot of things transpired as far as spiritually. And next thing you know, I find myself turned in and fighting a murder case because the gentleman actually dies at the barbershop that night. Wow. That yeah. So... Uh, now I'm in Arapahoe County, and if you're in any county jail in any city or any state, it's usually fully populated with gang members mm-hmm. and a lot of those that are that are from those communities. So, of course, the biggest gang that is in Arapahoe County, Denver County, as well as Jefferson County, is the are the East Side Crips. So I run into a lot of those guys while I'm there. Fortunately, I, ha- I did not have to defend myself. And after hearing the story of how it happened, a lot of them were understanding. And to my to my credit, I always say, you know, what the Bible says, if, if a man's ways are pleasing to, to the Lord, he'll make even his enemies to be at peace with him. So I guess they may have been pleasing. And, and you know, so I fight the murder case uh, with a public defender take it to trial i get convicted of criminally negligent homicide Uh, i get sentenced to three years in prison and during that time i can't tell you how important it was for uh, me to either gravitate towards or or sort of attract mentorship and leadership and there's and it's it's crazy how certain individuals came into my life that I could look up to around that time that actually took me under their wing and and taught me things about manhood even while I was incarcerated. You know? So so let me let me kind of sum this up because I mean you've said a lot. So, yeah, so, yeah. so you 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 end up giving your life to God in, in the same, I guess, month that you had the incident at the barbershop correct yeah yeah it actually i remember coming home on my way back from the club i had a blunt in my hand and i remember it was some good weed 
thank God for deliverance. And I threw it out the window. It was right by 7-Eleven, and I just broke down and I cried. And I told God I, I didn't want to live this life anymore. This was about a month before all of this happened. And so, okay, so you're, you're, you're 21, 22. This is a yep. month before this this barbershop shooting incident happens. You give yep. your life to the Lord. Then you have the barbershop incident. Then you turn yourself in after being on the run for a week or two. You get convicted. You do three years. You come out. While you're in, you find mentorship. While you're out, you find more mentorship. And Absolutely. you transition to Atlanta, Georgia? Immediately. I, I actually got out. I was in Denver for about a month, month and a half. They assigned me to a parole office off of Quebec, which is near Park Hill in between Montbello and the east side. And on my first visit to the parole office, I see east side crips and some of the same ones that had set me up in the barbershop wow <laughs> crazy so i immediately knew either i was going to go back to prison or i may have ended up dead or there was going to be more altercation so i knew i had to get out of town and get out of town fast so i put in my my request to uh transfer my parole to another state which was atlanta georgia okay and so what what year is this 2006 2005 <laughs> This is 2006, so 2004 is when I had initially the case happened, January 2004, and I get out June 5th, 2006. I transfer my my parole. It was about July, August that I got to Atlanta, 2006. Wow. You know, when, when as you're telling this story, you know, what comes to mind is in the bible you know the people of israel when they were initially enslaved to the egyptians and and, yeah. and god brought them out but when yeah. he brought them out it wasn't like they just automatically went into the promised land they had to go into a place called the wilderness which was mm -hmm. a, a place of uh some people say it's a place of development yeah and to yeah. me and to me this is what it sounds like god did with your life is that he you gave your life a month before the incident he saved you from spending life in jail from being killed from My. a life of gang banging in Montbello but then he had to put you in a place of wilderness uh, unfamiliar territory with mentors and, and different things like that in Atlanta Georgia would you agree I would completely agree um that that says it to the T. Honestly, there was a lot of Bible stories that applied directly to my life out of the children of Israel, uh, even, you know, Joshua and coming into, you know, even to a promised land. But that wilderness period was probably the toughest part of my life. It was uncertainty. It was unknown. It was unfamiliar, just like you said. Yeah, it's uncertain. It's unknown. It's it's development because you haven't arrived but you're not where you once was. And so it almost feels like it's even worse because it's like, do, am I even really hearing from God? Is God real? Like I'm, I'm going from this to pretty much desert, you know? It was, it was trying. It was probably when I say it was the most trying time, I couldn't find a job. I was trying to get employment at Walmart. I tried to gain employment at Target, Kroger, and everybody turned me down. Staffing agencies, Randstad turned me down because of my background 
because of what I had been through in my Egypt days, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to work under the table for a little while until my parole officer told me, hey, if you if I don't see a, a check or a check stub in valid employment, I'm going to have to send you back to prison. And I remember staring her in the eyes. I got that lump in my throat. I put my head down and I walked out of that office feeling so defeated. I'll never forget that day. So so what was your process of going from a convicted felon to now a, a man of faith in Atlanta, Georgia? You're trying to get on your feet and your parole officer staring at you like, OK, if I don't see a check stub, I'm going to have to send you back. What went through your mind and what was what was your action plan? Well, so I, I immediately got back on the I got comfortable with the un, under the under the table getting paid under the table and and working a warehouse job and luckily and thank to god i had someone uh, his name was raymond weber he was actually a mentor someone that i looked up to in my montbello days he had transitioned to atlanta prior to me moving to atlanta now this is somebody and I, i just posted about him he actually took me on the run when i caught my case he actually advised me to turn myself back in but he moved to Atlanta shortly after shortly before I had had got released from prison and I actually lived with him for a little while and he would take me around and help me find employment along with my sister and my my brother-in-law Yusef my sister Candy and finally something popped it was almost like that same day she told me I need to gain employment I went to my room at my sister's house at the time I cried out to God I prayed and I prayed and the very next day literally the very next day I got a phone call from one of the same staffing agencies that said that they could not hire me they called me and said they needed to hire me because the guy was leaving the job and they needed someone with experience they had already explained my background to the company the company was willing to take me in and give me a chance they gave me a chance I worked there for about I want to say three to four years. Wow. And work my way from the warehouse into the offices. Wow. And accumulated office skills from there. Wow. And so what 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 was the lesson that you gained from that in, in that particular moment? Well, one, don't give up. Two, um, persistence, consistency, and, and faith honestly faith uh, really really did i had to remind god for me i I reminded god of all the promises that his word said there were a couple people that spoke some things into my life while i was incarcerated i reminded him of those things and just told him i trusted him again the very next day is when i received that phone call got that warehouse position moved into the offices that company actually went bankrupt and i began the, the the job hunt cycle again and this is 2008 now wow so eight is in the middle of the recession yep. and feeding in a job market full of people that have degrees and experience and here i am a felon very little experience outside you know with with office skills and i didn't want to have to go back to warehouse work uh but this was also the power of some of the things i took from prison and brought out and used them i had janitorial skills mm-hmm. so i had a trade and I worked that trade uh, and worked two jobs for a very long time, and then even three jobs. I was a bouncer, had my got, got had my little swole on a little bit. Yeah, I was a bouncer at the club, 
morning time i was working barnes and noble stores cleaning those stores and during the day i was working a day job so that sort of sustained me even after i lost the job in 2008 and signed on with another staffing agency shout out to all the staffing agencies by the way <laughs> and i'm real yeah man real talk man I, I i've even had to do it and i have a college degree so i i definitely understand what what you're saying and i'm reminded of the scripture that says if you can stay faithful to a few things uh he will make you ruler over many things so do you feel francois uh you're breaking a generational curse of gang banging in your family and community i would say not just 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 gang banging my father also was incarcerated the same exact age that I got incarcerated. Mm. And then I've also had brothers and relatives incarcerated around the same age and the same time. So, yes, absolutely. I, I, I've had to break not just the, the generational curses, but the generational mindset mm-hmm. around incarceration, the generational mindset around growing up without a father or a proper leadership should i say okay so those are things that i had to absolutely address and call those things out and a lot of things i actually had to get help for professional help you know and talk to somebody which i would highly recommend to anybody that's been in gang culture highly recommend to anyone that's been through any type of trauma growing up um especially incarceration as well so absolutely it's very much of a need to break those cycles to break the mindset and you know i I even have to talk to my son now at an earlier age to make sure that he doesn't go down the same route and go down the same path and know that he has a father he knows he he has leadership and also put him around uh, mentorship in the right examples Uh, absolutely absolutely and so you know, some people say that lack of fathers and grandfathers in the home or apartment or a part of the family tree perpetuates the generational cycle of gang banking. Do you agree or disagree? I, I completely uh, agree. I completely agree. You you have it's all about exposure. Honestly, for me, the more you can expose them to positive examples, you're going to get exposed. Most youth, especially young men, even young ladies, they're going to get exposed to something or somebody. Somebody's going to mentor them. Mm-hmm. And it can be an OG or it can be it can be the G.O.D. Uh, <laughs> the G.O.D., right? A godly example is all depends on the parenting. It all depends on the individual as well, because, you know, although my mother had great parenting and she raised me right, she raised me to be respectful. She raised me the best she could she she didn't have the opportunity to put me around the examples that i probably needed to be around which i started to take for myself and put myself around other individuals and and just so happy that these people were hustlers these people were of gang culture these people were you know violent people or young people young men i would say young men that didn't have the proper leadership either that were trying to lead me as well gotcha Gotcha. And so you kind of touched on fatherhood. You're, you're now a dad of, of three kids, right? Three kids, one stepson, two, two that my wife and I have had uh, over the past five, uh, I'm sorry, 
one of my seven years, eight years, eight eight to nine years we've been married. Okay, and so what what was the process of now stepping into uh, fatherhood? You you went from convicted felon to a man of faith to getting back on his feet, and, and now you're 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 a father. What what was that process like? Well, I tell you, it was rough to start off with. <laughs> you and me thank, both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank God I had a stepson. But I honestly have to apologize to him because me not having the, the proper leadership and the proper, I would say, the idea of what a father was supposed to be and even a husband at the time and even a man, I, I had to learn a lot of things. So for him, it was probably toxic masculinity when I was telling him, quit crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't ball your fist up. Don't look at me like that. Don't, yeah. don't address me like that. It's all about respect for a man. Yeah. Right. So then we had our own child and I seen some of the effects that it had even on my stepson, who was already a broken young man because his father wasn't in his life due to drug problems and was coming in and out of uh, jail and also coming in and out of drug facilities. And thank God he's gotten it right now. But he was already broken and his mother was the only one that he had to depend on. And then it was me. So then I had to learn really fast. Hey there's some things that you can do differently there's some things you can do better and i started grasping on to more mentorship taking him out to play football encouraging him to do other things and spending more time with him and then having our first son together and then having a daughter really shaped me uh uh, and developed me into more maturity a more mature man a more mature father and and of course a more mature husband as well It, it almost has to in a sense yeah because i mean you know with with fathers and sons you 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 almost kind of feel like you can bring that same toxic uh mentality to your son but with a daughter it ain't gonna work (laughs) (laughs) try it if you want to (laughs) uh yeah that's that was probably the the softening spot uh for me and most men that are present in their daughter's lives yeah man and so man we we could be on the phone or or we could be on this recording for hours man absolutely i know you got other things to do as we're wrapping up what's one thing you want to leave with with the audience today about about this topic of generational gangbanging well i would say it's really all about exposure if your child if you are only exposed to a particular type of culture for us it was it was gang culture that's going to be the predominant influence that you have in your life if you can get yourself if you can get your children if you can get um, generation after generation around business owners around people of faith around positive figures they're automatically going to take to that so if you can do anything for you yourself your family is expose them to the right things show them the right things let them hear the right things um and let them you know just let them see the right things be around it and let it permeate their atmosphere and uh god will do the rest and they'll take to it absolutely well i'm gonna leave it right there with a period and say hey you out there that's listening this is a reason why you should donate to Fatherhood Fridays because we're telling real stories about real people and it doesn't end with just the realness. It, it turns 180 into redemption. And so we, we always paint the picture of what fathers are not doing, 
but we never paint the picture of how it's turned full circle and how they are becoming a better man, a better father, a better man of God. Um, and so if you would like to donate, you can go to uh, Google, type in Fatherhood Fridays with apostrophe S, uh, click on the tab. Uh, when you see the logo with the white background, you can hit support. And I'm accepting donations anywhere from 99 cent uh, to 9.99. Um, secondly, I'm on multiple uh, podcast platforms, so you can catch me on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Bullhorn, just to name a few, um, to listen to weekly podcasts that I drop every Friday. And last but not least, uh, if you were, if this uh, episode touched you in any way, go ahead. The last you can do for me is just copy and paste it and send it to someone else. Word of mouth is the quickest way for this podcast to spread. Other than that, this has been another episode of Fatherhood Fridays with your host, Chalmer, and my boy, Francois McDonald. Sir. All, yes, sir. All right, man. I will talk to you on the flip side. Yes, sir. All right, man. Thank you. And here's a sneak peek into next week's Fatherhood Friday episode. And that's where the save, give, and spend comes in. And as a parent, the way our, as an adult parent, you probably know the way that the current saving system works for employers is you put money into the system and they're going to match you. Yet many people still don't put right. it in the system. It's free money, yet they don't do it. So why not build that habit, that behavior early on and say, look, if you save your money, I will give you, if you save a dollar, I'll give you a dollar to match that into your savings account.